This is the DAO of Hypertrophy Podcast and I am Pedro Aguilar. The capacity to digest and absorb dietary protein and subsequent aminoacidemia far exceeds the capacity of skeletal muscle to utilize the constituent amino acids for the purpose of muscle anabolism. Following oral ingestion, protein digestion is initiated in the stomach by pepsin in the presence of hydrochloric acid and continues in the duodenum by the secretion of pancreatic proteases and enterocyte proteases. So, what does this mean? And by the way, I'm reading for, from a um, scientific paper, a review published by Tanner Strokes and colleagues, and also by the overseer of Stuart M. Phillips, which is one of my favorites when it comes to hypertrophy science and protein synthesis research. And it's called Recent Perspective Regarding the Role of Dietary Protein for the Promotion of Muscle Hypertrophy with Resistance Exercise Training. So if you want to, I'll leave a link, but if, we, if you want to get the paper and follow along as you are watching or listening to the podcast, you can do so. But we start off by talking about the fact that the, the capacity for the human body to digest and absorb the amino acidemia that comes from ingesting large amounts of protein actually exceeds, far exceeds, as we'll come to see, the capacity for the skeletal muscle to utilize that all of those amino acids to build muscle, to increase protein synthesis. So it goes on to say that following the ingestion, you, the pancreatic pro, uh, proteases and enterocyte proteases break down the proteins into peptides and amino acids that then get absorbed by the enterocytes and go into cir circulation. So let's continue. So that's the first point. You should know that if you eat 40 grams of protein or 20 grams of protein in a meal, all of that protein is not directed to the skeletal muscle, as we'll come to see. The end products include peptides, as I just mentioned, fragments, and free amino acids that are absorbed almost exclusively in the small intestine. The gut is, highly, uh, is a highly metabolically active organ and extracts 40 to 50% of the available amino acids from the ingested protein meal, primary for the purpose of energy production and for local protein synthesis. So the first pass on the first pass, the, the, the liver actually extracts 40 to 50% of all of the protein that you ingest. Just takes it away and uses it for energy production and for its own protein synthesis. Moving on, the remainder 50% of amino acids is released into the hepatic portal vein prior 
to being taken up by the liver. Like the gut, the significant proportion of amino acids are ingested are instead used for protein synthesis of hepatic and liver-derived blood proteins. So we get in even more protein proteins and not proteins but peptides and amino acids that are used by the liver and not actually making it to the skeletal muscle. The amino acids that have been sequestrated by the splen the splenic the splenic tissue, sorry, and the liver are first passed clear, as I mentioned before, and thus are not available for peripheral metabolism. That means it never gets actually to the skeletal muscle. It is interesting to note that the brain-chained amino acids, the BCAAs, which are implicated in skeletal muscle anabolism, are catabolized to a relative minor extent by the liver due to a low content of the brain-chain aminotransferase enzymes in human hepatocytes. So this means that the, all, of, all of the amino acids that get sec, uh, sequ sequestrated by the liver, there's a small percentage of it that are actually BCAAs, which, if you know, leucine is one or the most important BCAA, and it, it is actually the amino acid that sparks, that sparks protein synthesis. And that it's actually a very good thing that the liver does not sequestrate, sequestrate, I hope I'm saying that right, the BCAA is primarily leucine. It's almost like the human body is actually, has actually evolved to leave the BCAAs alone because they are so important for skeletal muscle and protein synthesis. Moving on. A disproportionate, a disproportionate, disproportionate, uh, okay. A disproportionate amount relative to the composition of ingested protein of amino acids released from the splenic bed into the hepatic vein are therefore BCAAs. Overall, 50% of the amino acids in the protein-containing meal are extracted utilization. Although skeletal muscle is a large depot for the retention of amino acids, not all amino acids released into the plasma are destined to become incorporated into new skeletal muscle tissue. So even, even though the amino acids that actually make it to the bloodstream, not all of them, or to be fair, most of them are not actually to be incorporated into skeletal muscle and hypertrophy or protein synthesis. Uh, as we'll come to see, in a recent study, employing an intrinsically labeled tracer approach, Groen and colleagues demonstrated that only 2.2 grams or 11% of the amino acids provided to young men in a 20 grams bolus of casein protein were used for the novel protein synthesis, despite 
availability in the peripheral circulation following splenic extraction. So what does this actually mean? It means that of all of the protein that was actually ingested, the 20 grams of casein protein, only 2.2% of that whole protein actually made it to the skeletal muscle. So that's 11% of the whole protein that gets used up by the skeletal muscle. So that's, that's a tiny fraction of the actual amino acids that make it to be incorporated in the skeletal muscle to be used as protein synthesis and form new proteins, myofibril and sacroplasmic proteins, and so on and so forth. The remaining amino acids are catabolized, are catabolized and serve as substrate for a range of metabolic processes from energy production and urea synthesis and to a very minor extent neurotransmitter production and that's all. So as you can see by this first chapter the idea that when you eat a lot of protein most of that protein actually makes it to the skeletal muscle and it's being used as protein synthesis to enlarge your muscle fibers is actually very very wrong okay so 50% of all of that protein actually gets eaten up by the liver and then the remaining amino acids that actually make it into the bloodstream some are utilized to make blood proteins like albumin for example and a lot of the other amino acids actually are used up by other tissues we don't have only muscle mass we have a lot of other organs and tissue that actually needs proteins uh, amino acids like let's say to build up tendons for collagen production or for other for other soft tissues and we get left with 11% of all the amino acids provided being actually intaken by the skeletal muscle so that's a very tiny tiny percentage of actually amino acids that get incorporated into the skeletal muscle and if you if you can get access to this paper this is this is a very well written very very well formulated paper i actually love reviews i hate meta analysis and in one of my podcasts i will talk about why i hate actually why i hate so much meta-analysis but a great review done by people who have a long history of studying protein synthesis is invaluable so if you can get the paper you actually have an image i don't know if you can see it. it's kind of off focus but you actually have an image an image that says that 50 percent of ingested proteins is extracted by splen splenic tissues being for example the gut or liver 
prior to entering circulation. The remaining 40% of ingested protein is catabolized as to be used as energy, ureogenesis, that's the production of ure uh, urea, and neurotransmitter production. And then we get left with about 10% or 11% to be used as the novo protein synthesis. So that is the synthesis of novo or new proteins for the skeletal muscle. So now that we have actually learned that the liver is kind of a jerk, gets all of the amino acids first, and then we have the urea and the albumin and all of the blood proteins and the, all of the other tissues and organs that get their fair share. And by the time that the amino acids actually get taken up by the skeletal muscle, we only have 2.2 grams. What a sad day. What a sad day to be a, a muscle fiber. Moving on. Regardless of the protein source, the feeding-induced rise in plasma amino acid concentrations drive uptake across the muscle membrane. So, despite what is actually your source of protein, you may be eating beef or whey or casein, the feeding-induced rise in plasma amino acid concentrations actually get uptaken across the muscle membrane and that is a good thing a good thing right some evidence suggests that protein ingestion ingestion induces gene expression of several amino acid transport proteins that may increase the influx of amino acids into skeletal muscle so the skeletal muscle actually senses the rise the uh, what the correct term for this is the exogenous rise in amino acids that are in circulation and it elevates the genes of the amino acid transports that actually pull the amino acids into the muscle fiber, which is a very good thing. And again, biology wins again with the evolution. Following substantial hyperamino acidemia, there is a 30-minute delay in the stimulation of muscle protein synthesis before it peaks at 2 hours. So we get a half an hour delay and then it peaks after 2 hours, typically. This can vary based on the type of protein that you ingest, right? Because we have fast-acting proteins and slow. So that can vary, but it's a good place to start. Importantly, aminoacidemia-induced activation of muscle protein synthesis is transient and muscle protein synthesis reverts to basal levels after 2 to 3 hours despite continuing hyperaminoacidemia. So this means that after about 2 to 3 hours, the muscle protein synthesis actually comes down despite having hyperaminoacidemia, which is big, huge levels. Hyper means 
actually large, el largely elevated amino acids. So hyperaminoacidemia means that the amino acids present in the bloodstream are actually quite high. And despite that, after two to three hours, the muscle protein synthesis comes down. And this is being coined by uh, with the um, with the term muscle full effect, which means that it's already full of amino acids. So, despite the fact that you might ingest extra amino acids, that you might eat more protein, you're not going to get more protein synthesis because the muscle fiber is already full. Quotations full. This phenom, which has been which has been called in studies employing both effect and explains why simply consuming protein in the absence of contractile uh, activity actually I read that wrong let me go back the f this phenom which has been corroborated or called in studies employing both infusion and amino acids and oral bolus bolus protein injection has been coined the muscle full effect and explains why simply consuming protein in the absence of contractile activity fails to induce protein retention and skeletal muscle hypertrophy. So I actually went ahead and explained that before I read it. So you, al you already know what this is talking about. The stimulation of muscle protein synthesis in response to a uh, hyper aminoacidemia appears to be entirely driven by the essential amino acids containing within proteins and of these amino acids leucine is primarily is the primary amino acid agonist of set protein synthesis so i've already touched on this i've already told you that leucine is the primary amino acid responsible for upregulating protein synthesis and of all of the amino acids actually present in a protein in a protein source only the essential amino acids are actually important for muscle protein synthesis and therefore hypertrophy so that's the reason why some of the vegetable uh, vegetable proteins are so weak at, at inducing muscle protein synthesis and hypertrophy over the long run because they are not as rich as animal-based source of protein in the essential amino acids. And actually the, uh, the, the person that oversaw this review, the Stuart M. Phillips, the, the Stuart, M. Phillips, Stuart M. Phillips actually has a great review on Diaz, which is Digestible Indispensable Amino Acid Score. And he has a great review that talks about this. The, the importance not only of the quantity of protein that you extract from a protein source, but rather the quality, the Diaz, that the protein source actually has. So, let's move on. If, if at any point you get confused, you can always you can always go back and listen and try. Uh, maybe I did a bad job explaining it, or maybe 
you just didn't get it the first time but go back definitely go back and listen to it again and again if you have a pa the paper in front of you it's even better so moving on in this regard more it all which is a reference showed that 0.24 grams per kilogram of body mass of protein maximally stimulated rates of muscle protein synthesis in younger males but 0.4 grams per kilogram of body mass of protein is required in older adults to achieve a comparable stimulation of muscle protein synthesis in older and younger adults respectively so that's mentioning the 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 fraction synthesis rate for younger and also older adults for older adults you need 40 grams to achieve a 0.056% per hour of FSR which is fraction synthesis rate of protein synthesis and in younger adults you only need 20 grams or so to achieve that same FSR that same f fraction synthesis rate so it it's actually people actually think that the older you get the less protein you need but it, in fact it's actually the opposite older people actually need more protein to stimulate muscle protein synthesis and that's also one of the reasons why sarcopenia actually set sets in as we age because older people one they don't eat as much protein as younger people and two they actually need more protein more quantity to drive up muscle protein synthesis as much as young people this 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 actually has to do with the sensitivity to the aminoacidemia, the hyperaminoacidemia that settles in when you eat a large amount of protein. The hyperaminoacidemia in younger adults actually, it's not that it, really, it works better, it's that the skeletal muscles in younger people actually respond very quickly and sense have a, a greater capacity to sense the rise in amino acids and uh, as as opposed to older adults with the elderly the elderly actually have a hard time their muscle fibers actually have a hard time figuring out that the amino acids are actually elevated so they need more they need bigger hype a bigger spike in amino acids for the muscle fiber to actually get the message that it's time to increase protein synthesis and build muscle. And lastly, we have that we know that exercise sensitizes the muscle to hyperaminoacidemia, which is actually very important for the elderly because they rarely do any type of resistance training. Actually, doctors tell them to go in the pool and do gymnastics in, inside the pool, which is awful for sarcopenia and osteoporosis. And they actually tell them to stay away from lifting heavy weights, which 
does not bold well for the sensi sensitivity increase to the hyperaminoacidemia. Moving on, importantly, Moore and Wittard, that's references, both observe that protein does doses beyond 20 grams equivalent to 0.24 grams per kilogram resulted in a negligible further stimulation of muscle protein synthesis such that 40 grams of protein provided no statistically significant enhancement in rates of muscle protein synthesis either at rest or following resistance training. So this is kind of the ceiling of the amount of muscle protein synthesis that you can achieve with a bolus of protein. So if you get 20 grams, if, and if you are a young male, if you get 20 grams or 0.24 grams per kilogram of body mass, you actually max out your capacity to build more muscle or to increase your muscle protein synthesis. And going above that and going into the 40 grams range actually does not mean that you'll synthesize any more additional protein. A lot of that amino acids, the excess amino acids, I should say, actually get used up by all of kinds of tissues to produce energy. They get oxidized and excreted, basically. Although we do see an effect on bigger bolus, bolus of protein actually driving down muscle protein breakdown. But we'll talk about that in a while because I, I think it's actually a part of this review. But we'll see. Moving on. Mm. Instead, as would be expected, leucine oxidation increases when protein does doses exceed 20 grams, or, or there was enhancement conversion of phenylalanine or tyrosine, excuse me, and an increase in plasma urea production and concentration. So if you if you didn't know by now, I'm not actually English is not my primary language, but I'm doing my best. So that was phenylalanine and tyrosine, uh, and also leucine get oxidized, right? So we have uh, oxidation of leucine, or there was uh, enhanced conversion of phenylalanine to tyrosine. I'm never going to get that. And an increase in plasma euro production, which euro is the byproduct of protein metabolism, of amino acids being metabolized. So that makes perfect sense. So the eating more protein does not mean that you'll get more protein synthesis. Nor does this mean that you will harm your kidneys that is if you are a healthy human being so the extra urea production that will ultimately ultimately be excreted through the kidneys don't actually harm the kidneys that urea is not 
if you have healthy kidneys, you have nothing to worry about. You're just peeing out more expensive pee in the form of protein. Moving on. Cumulatively, I hope I said that right, these findings suggest that 20 grams of high-quality protein or 0.3 grams per kilogram a meal is sufficient to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis after a single meal and, when repeatedly administrated three hours apart, optimize muscle protein synthesis throughout the day. So, we already have our blueprint, right? We know that 20 grams is the amount that you should be eating to maximally stimulate protein synthesis. And that is equivalent, and you can do your own math, to 0.3 grams per meal, per kilogram. So, if you weigh 100 kilograms, you're going to take in 30 grams of protein per meal. But you can do the math on that. And we also know that if you eat, or when you repeatedly administrate, to be fancy, but if you eat in the a, in a time period or in an in, in interval of three hours apart, you optimize, you actually get an optimization of or muscle protein synthesis throughout the day. So that's, you should figure out what's actually your required per meal of protein. Just multiply your weight in kilograms, multiply it by 0.3 grams, and then you should be eating that amount of protein three hours in intervals of three hours during the day. Except if you are asleep. If you're sleeping, do not wake up to eat protein. Sleep your eight hours a day when you're waking, when you are awake, awake. Three hours, every three hours, you you want to have as much protein as your body can handle. Let me see. We actually click, can go on. I was just checking the timer, how much time we have left. So, moving on. A recent two-dose study performed by McNognoton, I hope I said that right, and colleagues detected a statistically significant 19% greater stimulation of muscle protein synthesis following whole body resistance exercise in young men consuming 40 grams of protein compared to those consuming 20. So now it gets interesting because now it's been elucidated that if you work out your whole body in a resistance training session, maybe you need more protein. It makes sense. To place this finding into context, the added stimulation observed with ingestion of 40 grams compared to 20 grams of protein by Moore and Wittar was 11% and 13% respectively. So, in the previous study that we talked about with Moore, they actually found out that if you eat 20 grams of protein, you get 11% 
increase in protein synthesis. And if you eat 40, you only actually get 13%, which is a, neg a negligible increase. But that's not the case, as we'll come to find out, if you actually do whole body resistance training, in which, you, in which each case you get an actually significant 19% greater increase in muscle protein synthesis. Given that the only salient difference between the experimental designs employed by Mark Nocton and those utilized by Moore and Wittard was the exercise protocol whole body versus unilateral these data suggest that young men performing whole body resistance exercise may opt to ingest greater amounts of protein than those performing lower body exercise to maximize muscle anabolism. So that's what I was actually talking about. If you actually do whole body resistance training, you actually can increase your protein consumption per meal to 40 grams of protein to actually increase significantly the muscle protein synthesis per meal to 19% as opposed to 11% if you only do concentrated or isolated exercises. So to put this in perspective, let's say you today is arm day, you're doing biceps and triceps. Well, if you're doing that, you actually don't need as much protein as if you are doing, for example, deadlifts. If you're deadlifting, the whole body has to be behind that movement. So the traps, the delts, the, the latissimo dorsi, the glutes, the bicep femoris, the the calves, all of, the, of that muscle mass and more, a lot more actually, has to be behind that movement. And it actually has to violently contract for you to pick up a heavy object off the floor like deadlifting. But if you're just doing an arm workout or a chest workout, you can stick to the 20 grams of protein, no problem, and you will not leave any gains on the table by doing so. Moving on, oh, and I, I actually have the annotations, I have color-coded the, the main topics that I want to cover, so I'm not actually reading the whole study or the whole review, I'm just going by the bullet points, what I actually think that it's worthwhile for you guys to find out. Let me just check the timer, we're okay. Moving on. In the proof of principle, in the in a proof of principle study, Gore Groen actually it all demonstrated that nasogastric administration of 40 grams of casein protein effectively stimulated muscle protein synthesis and improved whole body protein synthesis balance or protein balances over a seven-hour overnight sleep so now we get into the sleep part and this is why i said previously that if you're asleep do not be a fool 
Do not wake up to eat. You don't need to wake up to eat. And we'll see about that just right now. Well, we'll see that uh, we'll see how that is right now. So in a, I'm going to read this again because I actually did a poor job of it. In a proof of principle study, Groen et al. demonstrated that nasogastric administration of 40 grams of casein, casein, remember that, of casein protein effectively stimulated muscle protein and improved whole body protein balance over a seven hour overnight sleep. So if you ingest 40 grams of casein prior to going to sleep, you actually in, increase and effectively stimulate muscle protein synthesis while you're asleep so that when you wake up, you wake up with a net, pro uh, net positive balance of protein synthesis with regard to muscle protein breakdown. So your, your muscle fibers are always either creating protein synthesis uh, or creating protein by muscle protein synthesis or they are breaking down protein by muscle protein breakdown. And the, the aftermath of that is what's called as the net balance. So if you have more synthesis than breakdown, you have a net balance or a positive net balance of muscle protein synthesis, which is the case with the ingested 40 grams of casein. But if you were to do the same study with no ingested protein prior to sleep, you would actually wake up with a negative net protein balance. So protein turnover would actually be negative. You would be breaking down more protein than that than which you are building or that which you are building. So that's also another hack, another blueprint. Don't forget to eat your protein before going to bed. Specifically casein protein. That's what you really want. That casein protein that absorbs very slowly and provides a net positive balance of protein synthesis while you are asleep. So that casein is actually working for you while you're sleeping. That's great, right? Moving on and staying in this line of study, the same group later demonstrated a significant 22 increase of overnight mixed muscle protein synthesis in young men who ingested 40 grams of casein protein immediately prior to sleep. So this, this is a follow-up study. They did a follow-up study and they actually found out that young men who ingest 40 grams of casein prior to sleep actually significantly increase their protein synthesis while they are sleeping by 22%. That's actually a big number. The same dose consumed after exercise was also shown recently to stimulate overnight muscle protein synthesis 30% more than the same dose of protein consumed 
without the prior performance of resistance exercise. So now we see a compounding effect. For you people who actually are into stocks, as I am, you know what the compounding effect actually is. Warren Buffett speaks of it all the time. But we actually now see a compounding effect. That is, if you eat 40 grams of protein, of casein protein, prior to sleep, you get 22% increase in muscle protein synthesis. But if you did resistance exercise, if you train with heavy weights, then ate the 40 grams of casein and then went to sleep, you actually bump up that number from 22% to 30%. More gains. Moving on. This finding suggests that the exercise-induced sensitization, sensitization, that's right, sensitization of skeletal muscle to amino acid intake extends into the overnight recovery period. So this means that you get a greater sensitivity for amino acids when you work out. We already talked about that. So when you actually eat your protein prior to sleep, you eat your casein protein, your muscles are still hypersensitive to the, the amino acidemia, the hyperaminoacidemia, and they can build even more muscle mass. That's great. Examined over a chronic period, pre-sleep injection, ingestion of 27.5 grams I'm, I'm going to repeat this. I did such a poor job. Let's, let's start again. Examined over a chronic period, pre-sleep ingestion of 27.5 grams of casein protein as a hydrolysis intact protein blend augmented uh, gains in quadricep cross-sectional area type 2 fibers cross-sectional area and the sum of the several one rep max assessment compared to those partaking in the same exercise protocol without pre-sleep protein ingestion. So now it gets even more interesting where they actually did a long storm format of a, a scientific study and they actually found out that the people who actually eat their protein, their casein protein, before bed make more gains, they increase their uh, quadriceps cross-sectional area, which is the, the, the typical measurement that they use to measure hypertrophy, is the cross-sectional area of a muscle fiber. They increase their cross-sectional area more, their type 2 fibers more, and they also get more strength gains compared to those who do not eat their protein before going to sleep. So, as you are seeing by this, it's a big advantage to eat your casein protein before going to sleep. Now, what are the good sources of actual, actually the good sources of casein protein? Well, you can always buy a, a powder form. You can supplement in a powder form before going to bed. But actually, the one that I prefer is actually the quark cheese. So you can buy those quark cheese, cheeses. 
they actually come in packages that resemble a yogurt and you can check the label and see how many grams or how many quantity of that cheese you actually need to eat to get to the 40 grams so you you should be doing that before going to sleep you should figure out how many cheese quark cheese you or if you'd like to supplement if you like to drink just drink a shake a casein shake before going to bed you can do that also but i find it more satiating to actually eat the damn thing damn physical thing it's more satiating and it actually upsets my stomach to to drink some of the powder forms of casein uh, as if uh, but that doesn't actually happen when i eat the damn thing and i actually eat the damn quark cheese and you get now you get quark cheese in all kinds of flavor so you can have quark cheese with um, strawberry flavor or vanilla or pineapple whatever you like just go to the store pick up some quark cheese read the label figure out how much do you need to get that 40 grams how much you need to eat of that cheese to get that 40 grams of casein and then just eat that before going to bed simple so let me see moving on cumulatively or cumulatively 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 i said that right was that one cumulatively this data suggests that casein protein consumed prior to sleep represents an effective strategy to promote skeletal muscle anabolism but that pre-sleep doses of protein may need to be somewhat higher than those recommended during the daytime appearing to be in the range of 40 to, or in the range of 30 to 40 grams so it's actually one of the best well demonstrated and actually best verified ways of actually increasing your muscle mass and gaining muscle is actually to eat your damn protein before you go to bed that's actually great because historically bodybuilders and the fitness community actually have always grabbed on to the supplementation of protein immediately after they they get done with their resistance training which i'm not saying is not important but it seems that eating protein or ingesting 40 grams 30 to 40 grams before going to sleep of casein is actually more important and it gives out better results than supplementing with protein right after you are done with your workout so that's that's just great knowledge to have let's see okay moving on indeed morton demonstrated that protein supplementation during resistance training for more than six weeks augmented lean mass accretion by 27 percent on average 
which is similar to a previously conducted meta-analysis meta-analysis, come on man which found 0.7 kilograms okay so the meta-analysis part you can just leave out because meta-analysis are almost always crap it's actually very very hard to do a, a well done meta-analysis but that that let's say that uh, save that for another day i won't get into uh, as to why that is but so to sum up uh indeed morton demonstrated that protein supplement during resistance by on average is similar okay so this actually this is actually now getting off track of what we had discussed previously so to sum up what have we learned today about protein protein ingestion and digestion and utilization and the amounts of protein the timing well if you want to take some notes first up is that all all of the protein that you ingest only 11% actually makes it to the skeletal muscle which in a, in a 20 gram bolus of protein some uh, is about 2.2 grams which is not a lot but that's what you get then we figure out that despite the con if you were to continue continuously elevate your amino acid levels and make it so that they never go down you stay in a state of hyper amino acidemia even in that state after two to three hours you will get no added benefits and muscle protein synthesis will come down despite high levels of amino acids in the bloodstream we actually know that the muscle fiber senses the uh, the exogenous presence of amino acids upregulates the genes that code for the transport of amino acids resistance exercise increases that gene the genes that the gene activity of the the genes that code for the transport of, of amino acids so that you can get more amino acids into the muscle fiber and th and that the young population actually is more sensitized to the hyperaminoacidemia than the old folks so if you're elderly i wouldn't say that you should bump up your protein consumption a lot what you can do is actually get smarter than that and supplement with the essential amino acids so just get a one of those big tubs of powder essential amino acids and you can actually supplement your meals with 10 grams of essential amino acids that seems to be the best way because as you get older you can you can have less than good functioning kidneys and the extraction rate can actually be hampered by the heavy doses of protein but that that's a conversation for another time but for you young folks eat your damn protein as much as you as you want 
just know that if you eat a lot more than you actually can utilize you'll just pee expensive urine uh, then we figure out that for for the max muscle protein synthesis you need 20, gra 20 grams of protein that's the typical or if you want to get more methodical and you should it's 0 0.3 0 0.3 grams per kilogram per meal so you can multiply your weight in kilograms I say that again multiply your weight in kilograms by 0.3% and that will give you the amount of protein that you need per meal to maximally stimulate protein synthesis and you should eat that every three hours to maximum maximally stimulate protein synthesis during the day and then we also found out that if you actually do whole body resistance training you need more protein or you should uptake more protein immediately after your exercise section than if you just do isolated work seems common sense but then again the human body does not actually work on common sense that's why these fitness experts and gurus almost always get things wrong because they they think in common sense but the, the human body does not care about common sense it does what it does and it's biology that matters biology wins all so if you do whole body resistance training let's say if you did a squat session or a deadlift session something that actually taxes your whole body you should bump up that protein intake immediately after you're done working out to 40 grams instead of the th the 20 and then we actually figure out that supplementing or eating large amounts of casein before going to sleep is actually very good for hypertrophy who knew it's not actually the way after you're working out it's actually the casein before you go to sleep that does the most job or the the better job so we actually know that if you eat 40 grams of casein before you sleep before you go to sleep you get a significant increase of 22 percent that is if you didn't work out because if you did work out you get a 30 percent increase in muscle protein synthesis while you are asleep so you're asleep sound asleep counting sheep and that casein and your muscle fibers are doing the work for you and increasing your muscle mass for you seems perfect to me and they actually and we also know that they actually did longer lo uh, longer term studies and they actually figure out that if you do this chronically over a long period of time you increase your gains and your strength which is great either if you are powerlifting or if you're bodybuilding you can implement this and get great returns and lastly comment this okay and i think that's
pretty much it. So in the next podcast, we we will actually continue because this this review is actually long. We're at page six, and it is eighteen pages long. Okay, but the review only goes as far as the eleventh the eleventh page. After that, it's just references. But either case in the next podcast we'll talk about how much protein can you actually build within each day within each hour within a year and so on and so forth so that you can actually have some realistic expectations of how much you should increase your weight each week based on what we know is the uh, the fraction synthesis rate of protein if you do everything right so if you eat right if you eat every three hours 20 grams 40 grams before you go to sleep casing we actually have the math that says reasonably well what you should expect to gain every year if you do everything perfect so that's it for the first ever Dao of Hypertrophy Podcast. And I'll see you next time, folks. Have a good one.